0: Question the important issues of today and try to find a sort of spiritual connection? Welcome to Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holliman as your host. Religion deals with the most fundamental issues humans face. There are arguments for and against the existence of God, where religion belongs in everyday life and a number of questions left unanswered. This is where it all gets discovered. Now, here is Father John Holliman.
1: Hello, oh, good day to you all out there. Glad to have you back. Um, today I'm going to try and wrap up um, my analysis of uh, R. R. Reno's book, Resurrecting the Idea of a Christian Society, and then add some observations of my own. I've spent a lot of time on this book because I think it provides the clearest insight into what is happening in our culture today especially with reference to the role of religious faith and the threats to its ability to provide input to the issues that preoccupy so many these days. Close to the end of his book, Mr. Reno notes that modern liberalism insists that peace and harmony are more likely if higher things are downplayed in public life. Liberals preach moral relativism not because they really believe that all truths are relative, but because they think downplaying truth is the best way to ease social relations in a diverse society. There is no firm higher truth about how to live, so we no longer need to make sacrifices. Multiculturalism and political correctness permit us to shift our attention away from truth without having to confront it and the rhetoric of inclusion and tolerance are tools to lower our expectations. The early Christian tradition sought stability, tranquility, and peace of mind as not through non attachment, but through a love fulfilled. Love clears away the distractions of worldly desires so that one can be at peace in the arms of the beloved. In this case, God as personified by Christ. It is this passion that can change the course of history, not critical reason. Identity is not something we can define at will, but an essential part of who we are. We're told that individuals must be free to construct their own identities, that it's oppressive to think otherwise. The deepest mental poverty of our time is one of imagination and courage, not reason and intelligence. Having embraced a false freedom, we find ourselves embroiled in less freedom and more vulnerable to the lower aspects of human nature. What is needed is to rebuild the culture of marriage, which is the font of our most valued loves and loyalties. Still better are the supernatural bonds of faith which provides us with a place to stand. This means that religious renewal is central to freedom's renewal. As Reno puts it, quote, the one child who stands up to the bully secures freedom for the whole schoolyard. Secular power disempowers because it gives people nothing to love and thus no place to stand. A Christian society fulfills the American dream of freedom Because it empowers people. Now, is it possible to resurrect a Christian society today? The number of people who checked none when asked about their religious affiliation on surveys is now estimated to be 20% of the population and more than 30% among young people. Christianity no longer has a monopoly on moral leadership. Reno, however, sees hope. There are still plenty of Christians in this country, and given the quote, given the enduring strength of Christian practice and the weaknesses of our secular establishment, I see no reason why the Christian character of America can't be renewed. In quote. Moreover, he goes on to write. Mainline Protestantism initiated and led most of the progressive movements in American history. The civil rights movement is only the most recent example. Now, in a three year study entitled Culture of American Families, the National Survey, four basic types of family culture emerged. First, there are the faithful. Next, the engaged progressives. Third, the detached and fourth, American dreamers. The latter two groups largely accept the status quo. Detached parents feel helpless since their kids are largely formed by popular culture. The dreamers are more positive. They want their children to succeed, but society dictates how success is defined. By contrast, the faithful and engaged progressives raise their children on their own terms with well-formed, confident and comprehensive world views, these two types have culture, cultural strength and an influence. For the faithful, family trumps personal needs and desires. They are hostile to divorce. Faithful parents are not cowed by mass culture. Engaged or progressive parents are equally committed and determined. But they emphasize personal autonomy, subscribing to the notion that we should live however we want to live, as long as we do no harm. Not surprisingly, they feel we should be tolerant of alternative lifestyles. They have an independent spirit and tend to live on the fringes of cultural and institutional power, while the progressives are the establishmentarians. Now, in Reno's words, today's quote, today's regime is a secular progressive one, which is to say a post-Protestant WASP, which is an acronym for white Anglo-Saxon Protestant regime. My point right now is that what looks like an invincible establishment is very vulnerable. They have built a culture that suits college graduates like themselves while disorienting everyone else. They will start to have their own misgivings, at which point the Christian leaven will go to work on the lump. Our ambition is not to become the next establishment, but to influence directly and indirectly the moral and spiritual outlook of the current one. End quote. Finally, he recognizes that exercising that influence sometimes means being forceful. We owe our neighbors, Christian or not, a faithful witness to the truth, even if it provokes controversy. Christians must speak the truth even if it is is politically inexpedient. However, this doesn't mean becoming loud or shrill. Hospitality has been a Christian trait even before St. Benedict made it official in his famous rule. His afterward, Reno warns Christians not to be intimidated by the progressive's claim to control the future. A mentality based on the illusion that worldly powers are history's master, and they set the ultimate conditions for our freedom. The seductions of this illusion are powerful but historical reality testifies otherwise. Along with the synagogue, the church is the only surviving institution in our society from antiquity. Neither wealth nor political power has created anything that has lasted. By contrast over the long haul, religious faith has proved itself the most powerful and enduring force in history. So what does all this boil down to? A well educated class of people with financial and political clout, convinced secular progressives, committed by revamping our social agenda, who directly and indirectly are intimidating the rest of us to buy into their view of the world today. Being well disciplined in pursuit of success as their station in life, they're able to espouse relativism, multiculturalism, and non-judgmentalism without being discombobulated like the lower class of people. In his 1984 groundbreaking book, The Naked Public Square, Richard John Newhouse makes the point that the public square cannot be naked for long. That is, it cannot be neutral about values. Quote, if it is not clothed with the meanings born by religion, new meanings will be imposed by virtue of the ambitions of the modern state. house went on to say, quote, a perverse notion of the disestablishment of religion leads to the establishment of the state as church, all of which makes it vulnerable to the political winds of each generation. By way of background, I would like to offer one factor at work here, It has gone unnoticed. We as a people have been so impressed by the scientific and technological successes of our age that we tend to look down our nose at anything smacking of, of age. In other words, scripture is a product of the past and as such is not to be taken seriously, much less bound by its dictates. This unspoken assumption has colored much of our thinking. Now, I have a practical example that I would like to give as to what I'm talking about here. Um, When I was teaching, I used to give people um, a printout of a poem and I told them my students, um, if they could identify an age or an era in which this poem was written. Did it resound with um, anything that they could identify with? And I'll read you some of it here now. I, I also told them that the original is not in English, it is a translation. So if it doesn't sound like a poem in English, and that's the reason why. <clears throat> it's entitled, A Dispute Over Suicide. And it says, my soul opened its mouth to me that it might answer what I had said. If you recall, Burial, it is a sad matter. It is the bringing of tears making a man sad. It is dragging a man's soul from his house and casting him on the hillside. I opened my mouth to my soul that I might answer what it had said. To whom shall I speak today? Brothers are evil. The companions of yesterday do not love. To whom shall I speak today? Hearts are rapacious. Every man seizes the goods of his neighbor. To whom shall I speak today? Men are contented with evil. Goodness is neglected everywhere. To whom shall I speak today? One who would make a man enraged by his evil behavior makes everyone laugh, though his iniquity is grievous. To whom shall I speak today? the wrong door is an intimate the brother with whom one should act is become an enemy to whom shall i speak today yesterday is not remembered no one now helps him that was done has done good to whom shall i speak today hearts are rapacious no one has a heart upon which one can rely to whom shall i speak today i am laden with misery through lack of an intimate. Death is in my sight today, like the recovery of a sick man, like going abroad after detention. Death is in my sight today, like a well-trodden way, as when a man returns home from an expedition. Death is my sight today, like the clearing of the sky, like a man attracted to what he knows not. Death is in my sight today, like the longing of a man to see home, when he has spent many years held in captivity. I think that's enough to give you an idea of what, what's going on there with this poem. We have a break, and um, I give you time to think about it. When we come back and talk about this poem.
0: your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com. Are you satisfied with your life? Do you know that more should be possible? Listen for the Access Consciousness radio show with the creators of Access, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane here. Our program offers pragmatic tools to change things in your life that you haven't been able to change until now. What if all of life could come to you with ease, joy, and glory? Tune in to Access Consciousness Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Who are you, really? Are you the person you want to be, or are you the person that others want you to be? Think about that. We don't always recognize our gifts and potential because we stick to old methods of being and do what others in our lives tell us. It's time to break through. Listen for Rediscovering the Magic of Being with Marja. Each program connects you back to whom you were meant to be every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are tuned into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holliman. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to defendingcatholicfaith at gmail.com. Now back to religious faith and the public square.
1: Welcome back. Um, we're going to discuss this poem of dispute over suicide. Um, it's interesting the responses I got back from the students as trying to date the poem. Even those who couldn't uh, offer a specific um, era. Um, remarked that there was something in there that they could identify with, some of the experiences that um, rang a bell with them. One person said it sounded to him like the age of St. Augustine, which, who died in 410 AD, so he lived mostly in the late 300s, um, a well-known author of theological books, um, it was at a time, though, when the uh, Roman Empire, was the Western Empire, was beginning to collapse. And indeed, in, in 410, uh, Rome was sacked for the first time uh, by bar- bar- barbarians. Um, another one said, sounded to him like Shakespearean. I guess he was relating to... Um, Hamlet's famous quotation he was debating with himself whether or not to commit suicide Um, to be or not to be. Another one said it sounded to him like a Jew in a German concentration camp. The answer is that the original is in um, a language that would come to be known as Coptic Hieroglyphic was reserved just for uh, the temples, uh, inscribing things in the temple. Uh, But this this was found on a clay tablet in the Egyptian desert. And it is dated to be 4,000 years old. Now, that says something about Scripture being relevant today. Um, We may drive automobiles instead of chariots. And when this poem was written, they didn't even have chariots. They wanted to get around on something that had to be on a donkey. They didn't even even have camels at that point. Um, But um, the human problem hasn't changed. The human being hasn't changed that much. We're still wrestling with the same problems and disappointments and frustrations that we had way back 4,000 years ago. And so I think that's one reason why we can say that scripture has a relevancy uh, that spans the ages. It's dealing with, um, it speaks to the heart and soul of what it means to be human. And that necessarily involves our relationship with the divine, however we may define it. The notion that man is created by God in his image, which is the Christian version, says something about what it means to be truly and fully human. The closer we are to God, the more closer we are to our true identity. Without a loving God to yearn for and imitate, we are left to our own devices. And that historically and with plenty of evidence makes us dangerous to ourselves as well as to others. The human soul is a delicate balance of contradictions which should have disastrous consequences when that balance is lost. There's one final consideration to be noted here. There is yet a third contender control of the public square. Islam is a political religion, it has been said, with ambitions of world conquest. As one 20th century Arabic writer puts it, Islam requires the earth, not just a portion, but the whole planet. The events in Europe gives us a snapshot How this ambition might play out today, not by terms of military conquest, but simply by um, immigration taking over uh, large segments of a society. Um, There are neighborhoods in uh, some European cities in which people don't dare go into because they know that uh, a non-Muslim would be not welcome there. Um and quite often, by banning to banning banning collecting together into these uh, condensed population areas, um, they can wield uh, power in the local government with their demands, not by being elected, but um, they have clout when it comes to getting their way. Um, Christianity is one of their targets to be eliminated. They begin, and this ought to sound familiar to you, by eliminating the word Christmas from the season, which is one goal they have in common with secularists in our own country. Um, For the time being, the militant Muslims are happy to join forces with the secularists. But as soon as their goals have been achieved, they will likely push the secularists to the sidelines, since they are more disciplined and dedicated to their cause. All I'm saying is that Christians need to recognize this double threat, and reassert their own values and beliefs in the public square. Notice I'm not criticizing the Muslim position. Um, Simply that for those who uh, are more radicalized, Um, it gives them an excuse to um, take over wherever they happen to be. And in Muslim-dominated countries, uh, the fate of non-Muslims is uh, not to be envied. Um, Christians in particular... Tend to be under great restrictions as to what they can do and can cannot do. Um, and if you're a member of uh, ISIS, when they took over an area, the Christians were given a choice: convert or be executed. Instead, great many of them fled. And they're now, just just now, beginning to go back to those areas that have been reclaimed by the country of Iraq, for example. Um, Returning to their former homes, finding everything, of course, um, damaged or destroyed. But um, just as the more militant uh, extremists. I'm not saying all, all milit- Muslims are that way, but Muslim does have an imperative to make the world Muslim. I mm-hmm. think it's for another break. break. Um, we can come back in a few minutes and finish up.
0: As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call, and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more, or call us at 251. 317-3977. That's defendingthecatholicfaith.com.
1: The White House doctor makes house calls.
0: It's time to transform your life. Start by tuning in to The Glenise Show with Glenise Hughes. Glenise combines business, relationships, wealth, life, and a whole lot of magic to create abundance and prosperity in every part of your life. It's all done through straight and often frank discussions in the best way that Glenise knows how. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Master your life with The Glenise Show. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are tuned into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holliman. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Faith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square.
1: Hello. Good to have you back. I'm going to return to um, the problems which the new um, agenda, which is um, being advocated currently. American, American culture is stuck in any number of dead ends, many of them falsely labeled as roads to freedom. The dominant ethic of non-judgmentalism gives important advantages to the 1%. Non-judgmentalism is part of a separate secular liberal culture that sees identity as something we can define for ourselves, but not for others, because that would be judgmental. The culture of permission combined with censure of those who do not obey the new rules for a world without moral rules, allows our ruling class to compliment itself as morally progressive. It provides the added benefit of a therapeutic moral vocabulary with which to denounce populist challenges to their power. It might be said, Mrs. Johnson, I'm afraid the sorts of views you've expressed about sex and marriage can be very hurtful. Now pointing this out rarely convinces people but pointing out error is important nonetheless doing so so may cause those with whom we disagree to hesitate we can embarrass and frustrate with well-formulated refutations it's even possible to induce second thoughts but convincing is another matter um Today's so-called progressives persevering in self-contradiction are all too human. When we can't imagine alternatives, most remain loyal to the ideas that dominate even when we know they're false. We can change our minds only when we are able to envision a more powerful truth. We need to see the true currency of freedom in order to free ourselves from its counterfeit. To be truly free, as both rabbis and Christian religious leaders have taught, we must engrave God's commandments on our hearts. A view of freedom, which is implied in the divine promise found in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33. I will put my law within them, this is God speaking, and I will write it on their hearts. This view of freedom is carried over into the New Testament. St. Paul evokes, he calls the saints a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. This then is the freedom for which Christ has set us free, to have the law of Christ engaged on our hearts. Genuine freedom is difficult to achieve because it's not so easy to do what we want. There are powers in the world that wish us to do what they want, making it hard to remain stable in our own purposes. Um, Consider... Our wealthy, well educated parents communicate fear and anxiety in their children these days. Free the day to day struggle for survival that characterizes so many thought throughout the world, they are nevertheless filled with concern for the success of their children. They expend tremendous energy on choosing just the right private schools and tutors. An admission to a noted university is a life or death matter. In spite of their wealth and status, these parents feel compelled to run their children through the gauntlet of merit- meritocratic competition. There remains little room for freedom. If That's the lot of the rich. What hope for freedom do middle class and poor people have in the face of far more immediate economic and social pressures? <clears throat> The freest man is the one who can spit in the eye of those who imagine themselves all-powerful, asserting, I will not. We're most fully free when we can say with St. Paul, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The martyrs testify to this freedom in a particularly powerful way. Um, So it it is a binding love that truly empowers people to be free. Um, And that's why... um, Successful families. By successful, I mean um, bound together in love, even when individual individuals have great differences. Sometimes um, differences that uh, we find intolerable. But nevertheless, family ties are stronger than um, in a healthy family. Stronger than the differences that are inevitable in all human beings, um, and that's what I think. Where uh, the the Christian dis- dispensation has um, a tremendous asset to offer the world. Um, Many Americans today lack a place to stand. There are fewer enduring loves and demanding loyalties. The marketplace encourages us to consider our self-interest. Advertising convinces us that it's all about us. Um, What we want. But in the background, um, we are beset by the doubt that nothing is worth our loyalty. Um, Sigmund Freud advocates that the family is not a refuge in a cruel world, but a factory of psychological distress Marx, Nietzsche, and Foucault, the French philosopher, unmask religion as an opiate and patriotism as a fool's game. Reason is power's favorite mask, and loyalty to truth makes one an unwitting pawn of oppressing forces that are always operating beneath the surface. These are things of which we're told again and again as it were, less free, even as freedom is on everyone's lips. The anxious and helpless can't face the future on their own, confident in their freedom. They need support and reassurance, which we should provide. But as we try to meet that need, let's not lose sight of the deeper impoverishment, the loss of freedom. What's needed today most are renewed loves and loyalties, not an extension of the nanny state, which takes care of us from birth to death. Um, It's no accident that the decline of marriage over the last few decades corresponds with the growth of government. It's part because the family, closely attuned to its members' needs and motivated not to waste resources, is a highly efficient welfare system. When it breaks down, something has to take place. And these days, that's the government, who more and more are encroaching on things that should have been settled within the family. But more importantly, marriage gives men and women a place to stand. And this is why um, within the Christian dispensation, um, stability and a long-term relationship, even in the midst of very difficult times, um, is the strongest bulwark against the the future uh, challenges. Um To restore freedom restore a cultural freedom we need to rebuild the culture of marriage. For marriage and family are the source of our most common and most powerful natural loves and loyalties. Um Perhaps most important is the deepening of our own faith, engraving on our hearts what we affirm with our lips. Um, The freedom of faith is not the product of laws, constitutions, or international declarations of human rights. It comes from invincible obedience to God's will that makes it impossible for secular powers to control the church or the synagogue. Religious believers' capacity to resist legal coercion and social pressure will preserve liberty for everyone and will do so more effectively than legislation or favorable judicial decisions. For as we stand strong, the vulnerable can live in our leeward side, as it were, protected by our boldness of speech and refusal to be coerced. this stance does not just protect us it inspires a christian society fulfills the american dream of freedom the proclamation of christ gives his followers a place to stand stability in a truth that cannot be conquered christian society will yes have plenty of non-christians not everyone will abide in christ but at its best, a Christian society encourages the true enduring freedom that allows ordinary people, little people, to take possession of their lives. It is freedom born of a higher love that allows us to stand up to worldly powers that claim dominion over our lives. Um Reno speaks of the post-WASP um, culture, um, which so long, so, so long, prevailed in this country, um, but the post-WASP worldview quite often is um, no vital connection to Christianity. Some of them aren't even um, Anglo-Saxon, not Protestant, and sometimes not even white. They had been formed by the America's WASP establishment that prevailed before. Um, while the old WASP culture justified its super eminence on the basis of historical pedigree, the new WASP make no hereditary claim, relying instead on a justification more compatible with the American democratic ideal and dream of freedom. They are the product of a meritocracy. But the new wasps share with the old a bedrock conviction. They rule by an almost divine right and are therefore entitled, indeed duty bound to set the moral tone for the nation. Um, So the, the past in some ways is still with us, but in important ways not. And we've somehow got to sort through what is really empowering and what is not. In fact, what is destructive. Um, The post-Protestant WASPs pose as inclusive while practicing a ruthless politics that destroys their opponents, tarred as extremists and bigots. Anyone who has dissented from post-Protestant Wasp Orthodoxies on a college campus know how that works. Nuns now drive the culture wars. They're the valuable value values voters of the twenty first century. Nuns are highly motivated by moral and cultural issues that revolve around their central commitment to the freedom of each individual to define the meaning of life for himself. Under their leadership, nuns are the most dynamic political force in America today. This new moral majority is not monolithic, but it is unified, especially in its rejection of the social influence of Christianity. Um, so that is something of of what we're struggling with what we're striving with and I think um, the Christian dispensation has an important contribution to make namely that it's not all about um, presumed road pathways to freedom because the most basic freedom of all is being at peace with oneself. And that requires a love and a loyalty to something higher than ourselves, even if it's just the family. But the family itself is... The family itself is... uh, enlivened, by having um, something bigger than themselves to adhere to. And that something bigger has to be beyond the bounds of what the world of power, money, and political philosophies can afford. Our secular establishment talks a great deal about tolerance or its postmodern version, inclusivity. But the post-Protestant wasp lacks a transcendent horizon. Politics is to be all and end all. And the stakes are thus raised. Politically correct views become sacred dogma. Dissent becomes heresy. This sacralization of the political is nothing new. It's characterized modern politics wherever faith in God above all has been replaced by faith in history, destiny, or progress. Today's theocrats are not Christians. They are the nuns whose political views are the highest loyalties. Well, I hope I've given you something to think about until we come together again next week. And I wish you all a very constructive and faith-filled week.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Religious Faith and The Public Square. Please join Father John Holloman again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope you have a very good week.